Copyrighted program created by the Rio Grande Oil Company. The Tennessee calling all cars, attention all cars, broadcast 159. A killing, Tony Morelli, found on the 9th Street Bridge. It looks like a gangster killing. That is all, Harmon. Human beings crave the dramatic. We all enjoy the colorful, the romantic, the stirring moments of life. In the most ordinary situations, there can be drama to enrich life's experience, even in such a simple situation as driving your car. It is no misstatement to say that some gasolines are dramatic, and some are woefully undramatic. Rio Grande Crest gasoline is indeed dramatic. It is the gasoline of police car performance. It has been specified month after month for emergency use by police of such cities as Oakland, Berkeley, Fresno, Los Angeles, Phoenix, San Diego County, Orange County, Maricopa County, Arizona, and many, many other cities and counties. Can you imagine anything more stirring in everyday affairs than to drive a police car chasing criminals, or a fire engine rushing to save property, or an ambulance speeding to save a life? Yet you can have the same dramatic performance in your own car every day, everywhere you go. For independent Rio Grande dealers offer you exactly the same Rio Grande cracked gasoline that powers more police cars, fire engines, ambulances, and other emergency equipment wherever it is sold than any other brand. Why don't you enjoy police car performance in your car? Once again, it is our pleasure to present Chief James E. Davis of the Los Angeles Police Department. Chief Davis. Good evening, friends. Tonight you will hear the story of a man who was too weak to resist the magnetic pull of easy money. He wasn't a villager, a baby-faced Nelson, or a cold-blooded killer. Yet his crime was just as brutal as any of these gangsters might perpetrate. Even worse was the fact that he broke a trust not only with himself, but with society as a whole, by using his badge of authority as a means of protection. It is hard to believe that any individual, faced constantly with proofs of the stupidity of crime, could defy every tradition and resort to a criminal act. Yet that is just what happened. What his reward for this move was will be told in tonight's story of the criminal policeman. August 1921. In the office of the Homicide Detail in Los Angeles, Detectives Hamilton and Rico idly thumb through reports in an effort to pass the hours away until the dawn shift is over. Did you get a line on that bird you're looking for? Remember the guy that was going around busting people over the head and then running? Oh, uh, we got a line on him, but I guess he got wise. He just quit appearing. 
funny. Never did make much sense to me anyway. Could never tell what these nuts are liable to do. Well, I'd almost be glad to have another one turn up right now. This dawn grind gets me down. Uh, what time do you make it? Well, I'll be getting along. Yeah, 4.30. Yeah, well, won't be long before the boys will be coming in and then watch my smoke. Bacon and eggs and a great big help and a shut eye. I get it. Homicide, Rico. Coleman Beaumont, Peter. I just found a body out on the Nancy Street. Why don't you call the morgue? This is a detective bureau. Because this guy's got three holes in him made by high-powered bullets. It struck me that you might be interested. Okay, Beaumont, stick right there. We'll be out in a minute. Huh, something? Some guy stopped the barrage of lead off the nine-feet bridge. Let's take a run out and look him over. I was afraid something had happened to spoil my breakfast. You, Beaumont? That's right. Hamilton's my name. This is Detective Rico. What is this fellow you called about? Over there in the gutter. I uh, hadn't moved him, just made sure he was dead. I couldn't be hard. Hey, he really got it. I know this guy. It's Tony Morello. What's his claim to fame? He had a record. He's been a couple of times for the last me, and lately we picked him up on suspicion of bootlegging. He's got friends, though, and we haven't been able to pin anything on him. Well, looks as though his friends decided to pick things up. Yeah, it's a record killing, all right. Three slugs clear to him. Whoever did it wanted to be pretty sure he didn't have any time to talk before he bumped. Any witnesses, Beaumont? Not that I know of. I didn't see anybody around when I spotted them. Well, you better phone for the morgue wagon. Hey, Tony has a wife and brother living over the other side of town. He say we take a run over and see them. Okay. Beaumont, you stick around and see what you can learn from the people around here that might have heard the shot. Come on, Rico. Looks like Mrs. Morelli is the next stop. <laughs> Got some bad news for you, Mrs. Morelli. Perhaps you'd like to sit down. Oh, you've got the Tony in the theater house. He's not a do anything. He's a good man. He's not a do anything. Just a moment, Mrs. Morelli. Tony's not in jail. He's not in jail. No, Tony's dead. Oh. He was murdered early this morning. Oh, Tony's dead. No, that's not right. He's not dead. We're inside. I have to bring you that bad news, Mrs. Morelli. Oh. Unfortunately, what Detective Rico says is true. Someone shot your husband early this morning. Oh, Maria, Tony, oh, he's so good with a man. Oh, Santa Maria. Oh, Santa Maria. Oh, it's Tony. He's a shot. Oh, Tony, Tony. Stephen, they got him alive. Who's Stephen? Oh, he's a copper, just like you. He was always a coming over to have a drink of a Tony. Oh, I didn't like it. And now look at what's happened. He's a killer, Tony. What made you so sure it was Stephen's did it? Oh, he was a hero with Michael last night about 9.30. They said they was going out and get the drunk. Tony, Tony gets too friendly with these fellows. I know something like this would happen. Stephen, he is no good. You don't like the Stephen's much, do you? I like him. I hate him. Uh, perhaps you better come down to headquarters and make out a report of all this. All right. Uh, I don't think there's much of this, Rico. Stevens was investigating the bootlegging going on around here. He probably had something on these people, and they want to put him on a spot. Well, we'll check with him when we get back to the station. You're set, but really, we'll take a run down to Central. Now, go right away to me. This is a cop. Bump off on my brother, Tony. I'm going to see that he gets the payback. He couldn't do that and get away with it. 
months go by. Eight months in which Detective Rico never relaxes his vigil of checking Stephen's every move. And at last, although nothing is found wrong with Stephen's activities, the pressure is too great and he resigns from the force. Periodic checks on the ex-officer's move fail to bring to light anything of importance, and then one day Stephen disappears from the city, and the Tony Morelli killing is placed in the unsolved files under the heading Gangster Killing. Time passes. Nine years roll by. New crimes occupy the headlines. New names appear on the police roster. The Tony Morelli killing is forgotten. Nothing remains but a musty paper in the police file. Then, one morning in the office, detective... King speaking. Mrs. Spencer out here to see you, Lieutenant. Does he say what he wants? Well, he wants to see you, sir. Maybe it's something important. All right. Send him in. Yes, sir. Spencer. Never heard that name before. Probably some guy with a petty complaint. I should have been out. Come in. You come in, King? That's right. Come on in. Thank you. Well, what seems to be your trouble, Mr. Spencer? That's right, isn't it, Spencer? Yeah, that's right. I don't suppose you remember the name. No, I can't say that I do. I think you will. Anyway, I believe I have information for you that will solve one of your murders. Well, what the devil do you mean? I mean just that. If you're interested, I can tell you who killed Tony Morelli. Tony Morelli? Oh, yes, that's that gangster killing. My ex-wife was the principal witness in that case. She was half of the alibi. And now she wants to talk. I guess it's on her conscience. Anyway, she called me yesterday and told me that she had information that she couldn't hold any longer, so I came to you. So is your ex-wife, Mr. Spencer. Well, she has a place out in Hollywood. Here's the address. Excuse me a minute. Hello, Sergeant. Want you to take a couple of men and go and pick up a Mrs. Spencer. Get out a bench warrant for her and pick her up right away. She's in an apartment house at Hollyway and Virgil. Well, that's just in case she's changed her mind about telling what she knows. No people have a way of doing that. Yeah, I imagine they do. She's probably scared, anyway. It's no fun hanging under a secret like that for so long a time. Liable to drive a person badly. Here, tell you what to do, Mr. Spencer. Suppose while we're waiting for the boys to bring her in, you'll make out a report to me in this car here. Just a matter of routine, of course, but it's necessary. Oh, sure. Uh, don't like the idea of having my name floating around police headquarters, but if you need it, it's okay with me. Just answer these questions? Yeah, that's right. Okay, let's see. Name? Tom Spencer. Occupation. No, at the moment. Mrs. Spencer, how does it happen that you kept this from the police all these years? Oh, you don't know what a tough man he is. He just as soon kill me as eat. I was afraid to say anything. You realize, of course, that if you'd have told the truth in the first place, we'd have laid our hands on Stephen. But now, no one knows where he is. Oh, I know it was wrong. I wanted to kill, but I was so afraid of him. Honestly, Lieutenant, he's the worst man I, I ever heard of. Uh, suppose you try and tell me in details exactly what did happen that night. And if you can remember exactly what was said, it will be a great help. Well, it was around 10 o'clock in the evening. I was expecting Stephen. And so when the doorbell rang. Hi, Addie. I got a friend with me. She's gone with us. Tony, this is Addie Spencer. Addie, meet. Tony Morelli. How do you do, Mr. Morelli? Come in, won't you? No, we haven't got time. Get your things and come on out the car. We're going out to Chatsworth and have a time. Well, come in and have a drink first. 
It'll take me a minute to get my face on. All right, if you say you got a drink, we'll come in with pleasure, huh, Tony? Well, you bet you're my life, but that's a good idea, yes, sure. Uh, it's a wonderful thing, this delicious. Mm. <laughs> Don't mind Tony, Eddie. He's a little drunk, but it's all right. It's all right with me. You're not too sober yourself. What do you mean, I'm not sober? You don't think the few drinks I've had tonight are going to flatten me, do you? Well, I've never seen you when you weren't that, Liz. But I don't care. I'd have been sure. Why do you care for anyway, huh? Stephen, he's a good fellow, sure, sure. <laughs> he's a very good fellow, even if he's a cop, yeah. All right, Tony, keep it up to yourself. Huh? I told you I didn't want you to go around talking about mine being on the fourth. Not good business. Here you are, boys. Wrap yourselves around these while I get a bit of powder on. I'll only be a minute. Well, Tony, happy, happy. That's right, happy, happy. Come on, let's get drunk and break things. No, no breaking tonight, Tony. No. We're out for a good time. Hey, that's the trouble with you. All the time I'm afraid that you have a little fun. You're just a lot of talk. Yeah. Well, yeah. Tony, if you want so drunk, I'll show you how much talk I have. Well, I'm not half so drunk as you think, huh? I'm not so drunk. I don't remember a couple of things you told me that you, you wouldn't want certain people to know. Shut up. What's the matter, huh? You afraid I'm a good spirit, eh? For the last time, Tony, keep that mouth of yours cut or I'll cut it permanently. Ah, what's the matter? Here, here. What do you boys want to be arguing for? Come on. Finish those drinks and let's go. Okay, okay, Adam. But remember, Tony, I'm not fooling about what I said. If you want to remain healthy, keep your mouth buttoned. Okay, okay. I'm a sorry. I'm a sorry. Oh, 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 forget it. Come on, Eddie. We're off in a cloud of smoke. You and Tony get in the back seat, Eddie. We're picking up Ed Pickle. He's going with us. Who is he? That's some more of your business. Fall in, Eddie. All right, come on. You all step back there? Sure, we're nice and happy, eh, Eddie? <laughs> sure, sure. Everything's all right tonight. I'll you, my lad. How do you like the way this bus rambles? I think you're driving too fast. Remember, you've been drinking? Yes, that's right. Hey, listen, what would your policeman friends say if they caught you? <laughs> I wouldn't like that, eh? Oh, lay off, will you? That's right, Eddie. Stick up for Papa. Sure, sure. A very funny picture that would make, huh? <laughs> Promising a young police officer arrest for a driving while drunk. <laughs> Why, <Wild> guy? <laughs> ah, what's up now? Just when we pick up here, that's all. Hey, Ed. Hey, Ed. Come on, make it fast. He went with you. Hold everything. You remember Ed, don't you, Eddie? Sure, I know him well. Not too well, I hope. Oh, don't be silly. Well, Danny, open the door and let me in. Hey. Uh, hello, Eddie. How's things? Hello, Ed. Not bad. Ed, the guy in the back is Tony Morelli. Tony, need Ed Stickle. Shoot, I'm glad to meet you. Yeah. yeah. Where are we heading for? Out to Tesla. There's a barbecue out there. I thought we might take it in and get a bit blind. Might be fun. Yeah. We're not doing too badly, but I'm getting blind business right now. How many are down tonight, huh? Not so many. I'm all right. Sure, he's a plenty drunk. Yeah. Hey, he's a think I'm a drunk. But he's the one that takes it to drunk, you know. <laughs> He's just a big flat to put on the loot. Tony, <laughs> I'm telling you to shut up and I mean it for the last time, Terry. Hey, what's the matter with you? Can you take a little joke? This is no joke. Are you going to keep that cap up? Hey, watch yourself, Tony. You're in the nice street bridge, you know. 
I'll show where I am. I'm proud of that guy back there. I can crack at him. Uh, just the cup of the pants of pages. What's up, John? <laughs> Are you going to stop laughing at me? <laughs> Look out, Eddie. <laughs> That's what I do to guys. I don't know when to stop. Come on. Drag that dirty rat out here in the gutter. Come on, Take this gun. Okay. Here. <laughs> All right, that's, that's got it. Come on, come on. Now, listen, we're going to set up the hotel. I know a couple of guys there, and we're going to buy them a few drinks, see? That way I'll have a perfect alibi. Unless you decide to yap. If you know what's good for you, keep it shut. That's about all of it, Lieutenant. Yeah, and you've been going around for nine years with that knowledge? Then it doesn't do any good for us to cry about it now. Lieutenant, will you, will you lock me up in jail? Uh, of course not, Mrs. Spencer. But I want you to. I'm afraid of Stevens. If he's liable to get wise that it was me to talk and, and find me, I'm afraid to go home. Now don't you worry, Mrs. Spencer. We'll see that you have all the protection that's needed. I'll have a couple of men with you all the time until we fix Stevens up. Send in officers Nolan, Fitzgerald, and Filters. I want to see them right away. One is the murder, two men, Ed Stickle and Charles Stevens. The latter may be going under an alias. Description as follows. Number one, height, five feet, ten and a half. Weight approximately 140 pounds. All citizens are asked to be on the lookout for two men by the names of Eddie Stickle and Charles Stevens. Descriptions are as follows. And a few days later in the county jail, a currency happens to look at it in that car. Holy mackerel. The girl is caught in that stickle, sir. That's what it. I leave my hat. He's sitting right down there in tank four in a drunk charge. Won't he be happy when I tell him we found a murder rap on him? Thus, the first of the two wanted men is found and booked on suspicion of murder. Under questioning, Stickle admits his participation in the shooting and verifies Addie Spencer's story. Within five days, his case is before the court. A first-degree murder verdict inevitable. As the tales of justice swing with the testimony of witnesses, there is no doubt in the prosecution's mind as to a conviction. But out of a clear sky... The testimony of the coroner in charge explodes like a bolt of lightning. It has been proven in this court that the defendant, Edward Stickles, deliberately fired two shots into the body of one Tony Morella. The defendant admits this to be the truth, but there can be no murder charge against him. In the testimony of the witness, it has been stated that the first shot was fired by Charles Stevens, the fugitive. This shot penetrated Morelli's brain, making death certain within a space of at the most 15 seconds. And the shots fired by the defendant were at least 30 to 60 seconds later. Therefore, Tony Morelli was already dead when the second bullet hit him, and you cannot murder a corpse. Thus, in one of the most amazing reversals of testimony, Edward Pickle finds himself saved by a matter of 30 seconds. And the hunt turns once again with renewed interest to Charles Stevens, fugitive from justice. Clue after clue is run down only to prove to be a false alarm. 
Detectives follow a man answering Stephen's description halfway across the continent, only to find on close scrutiny that he is not the one of the sex. In Los Angeles, Lieutenant Bedford has discovered a man who knows Stephen. Together they rush to the High Sierras, where it is said that Stephen has a shack. But upon their arrival, they are told their man has eluded them by a matter of ten hours. But that he has been seen buying a ticket to Sacramento on the train. Acting on this information, Lieutenant Ledbetter immediately wired Harry Hickok of the State Identification Bureau telling him to be on the lookout for Stevens at the station. Hickok, wasting no time, gathers two of his associate officers and drives to the station, where they watch inbound trains arrive. What's that, you mean, Jim? 3.25 by my watch. Right on time. Hey, so you know what this bird looks like? Yeah, I got a picture of him here from the mud book. Right. I want to take any chance of missing him. All the men set? All set. Keep your eyes open now. If you spot him, grab my arm and we'll nab him before he has a chance to pull anything. Right. Hey, there he is. Come on. Good boy, Jim. You take him by the left arm. I'll grab his right. Okay. Grab him. Keep on walking, Stephen. We've got you. Hey, what's the idea? You haven't got anything on me. You're coming along quietly, Stephen, but we have to take you. I don't know what you're talking about. What's the charge? That does break us on again. Just for precaution. There you are, Mr. Stevens. Right where you belong. On the wrong side of a pair of police handcuffs. Stevens has returned at once to Los Angeles, where he is scheduled to face trial on a charge of first-degree murder. All through the preliminary days of the trial, he sits mostly listening to the testimony. Steadfastly denying any knowledge of the crime. But in the minds of the police, this man is no ordinary criminal. He is a fellow officer who has violated his trust. And finally, as the last rays of sun are filtering through the windows into the hushed courtroom, Charles Stevens, ex officer and murderer, stands silently in front of Judge W.V. Tryon to receive his sentence. You thought because you wore a police uniform that you were beyond the law. You violated your oath to enforce law and order. You violated the commandments, thou shalt not kill. You sought immunity from your crimes behind the uniform you disgraced. But the law applies to every one of us, to the policeman as well as to the civilian. Because you acted beyond the law, Charles Stevens, and killed a man not in the line of duty, you are to pay the extreme penalty. I sentence you to be hanged by the neck until death. <laughs> Stevens appealed the decision in the highest court of the land, and as a result, the sentence was commuted by the governor to life imprisonment. We in the police department are faced daily by proof that crime never pays, so it is a rare exception when a member of our own organization steps outside the law, as did ex-officer Charles T. Stevens, whose story has just been told. Our relentless pursuit and capture of the man proves that even those on the inside cannot commit crime and get away with it. In an organization such as ours, numbering over 2,500, the law of averages selects some men who are too weak to resist the temptation which daily beset underpaid and unappreciated policemen. 
Our men, jealous of their reputation for integrity, are quick to oust any offenders against our code. Thank you, Chief Davis. As this half hour draws to a close, may I emphasize what I told you at the beginning of this program. Rio Grande cracked gasoline lifts you out of the realm of the ordinary. It is the only gasoline you can buy that gives you police car performance. Thousands of motorists are finding this out and will never again be satisfied with slow-burning, sluggish, undramatic gasoline. Rio Grande Crack has recently made greater gains than any gasoline on the Pacific coast. Thousands of motorists are learning, too, that they can't buy better motor oil than those sold by Rio Grande independent dealers. Sinclair, Pennsylvania, and Sinclair Opaline. Both de-wax, both de-jelly. Both refinery sealed and tamper-proof tanned. And here is an announcement of extraordinary importance. If you are saving police money for junior detective and G-man outfits, turn in your coins before December 31st. All these free gifts are illustrated in Calling All Cars News, that thrilling publication of movie, radio, and detective stories. Get a copy from your nearest independent Rio Grande dealer, and be sure your request for free gifts is postmarked before midnight, December 31st. Please calling all cars, attention all cars, the cancellation broadcast 159. Suspect in this case is now in custody. That is all. Harmon. narrator, Frederick Lindsley, bidding you good night for the Rio Grande Oil Company.